I speak to you in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. In our gospel today, Jesus will once again speak in parables to the chief priests and the elders. Why does he waste his time? Aren't they always trying to trick him or even kill him? Surely there are others who are far more worthy of his message. Nonetheless, today our gospel takes place in early spring. The Passover is just two days away. On his way to Jerusalem from Bethany, Jesus has cursed the fig tree and will enter the temple to expectant crowds and those scandalous elders and priests. Just the day before, crowds had lined the route to Jerusalem as Christ entered triumphantly to the cheering crowds of Hosanna. He turned over the table of the moneylenders, shocking the leaders. That evening, he returned to Bethany, where he was coming from this morning. Today's gospel is called the parable of the wedding feast. It's one of the parables that will be Jesus' response to the priests and elders after they question his authority. Remember, when Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and elders asked him, By what authority do you do these things? Jesus countered by asking them a question. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from man? When his critics refuse to answer, Jesus also refuses to answer. It seems as though he finally realizes that he's wasting his time with those priests and elders. But he does respond. And he responds in three parables, which I think are important for us to remember. The first parable is the parable of the two sons. And that's where the Pharisees and the priests first question Jesus' authority. Not only does he ask them about John's baptism, but it's not a parable, but he gives them this parable in response to their question. It's where the son, who argues with his father when asked to do something, but then does it anyway. However, he has a second son who quickly consents, but refuses to do anything. So Jesus asked the elders after the parable, which of these two did what the father asked? After they clearly respond, why the first son he then tells them that tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom ahead of them. If they are listening, you can imagine how angry they are now. The second is the parable of the wicked tenants. It was just last week's lecture. A landowner rents a fine vineyard to some tenants, and then he sends slaves with a message for them to pay the rent. The tenants mistreat the slaves, and some are even killed. The owner persists, sending even his own son. And the third parable is our gospel this morning, the parable of the wedding banquet, which some say has a parable within a parable, which is the reference to the garments that we'll talk about later. Now, I want you to understand that not only do I think it's important that we understand that we have these three parables, but the church does also. Because if you've been reading your lectionary, and I know you have, you've noticed that the last two weeks were the parable of the two sons, then the parable of the vineyard, and then this week is the third, the parable of the wedding banquet. And if you remember, Father Donovan even preached on the parable of the vineyard. All three of these parables speak to those who do not live up to their promise, 
refused numerous invitations, and returned violence for grace. And they lose their place, only to be replaced by others who they often feel are less than them. But let's get to the parable of the wedding banquet and start our gospel today. Jesus answered them and spoke again in parables to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who made a marriage feast for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the marriage feast, but would not come. The to them that Jesus is speaking are those elders and priests. And Jesus starts with, The kingdom of heaven is like. Because he wants them to understand that the heaven that he does know is different than the world that they believe they rule in. Much of the allegory is easy to follow. Clearly, the king is God, the son is Jesus, the invited guests are the elders and priests and the people of Israel, and the slaves are those Old Testament Hebrew prophets. Further, we can assume by what has been said that an earlier invitation was given because the servants are sent to call those who have been invited. The second invitation is a more personal one. The king wants each and every one of them to come. He wants them to know personally that they are wanted, but they would not come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying this time, Tell all of those, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My cattle and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the marriage feast. A third personal invitation is sent. And this time with examples about how wonderful this feast would be. Now, keep in mind at the time, the Jewish leaders and the people would have understood this messianic vision of a feast. Because they believed that when the Messiah came, there would be a feast for all of his followers. Isaiah reminds us of this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food. For all peoples. And it almost seems like the king is having to beg those invited to come. Some of the listeners, while understanding the feast, would not have understood this. At this time, the refusal of a kingly order resulted in death. Kings never sent out two invitations, let alone three. But our parable continues. But they made light of it. And went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the rest grabbed his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. Our gospel tells us that many of them returned. Now listen to this, but not to bad things. They just went their own way. One to a farm, another to merchandiser, merchandising, and these are the things of the world. These are the things of their daily lives, which distract them from being with the king. And aren't we too sometimes so busy in our daily tasks that we fail to hear the quiet call of the Lord? However, others are mean and evil and mistreat and even kill the servants. But both groups, whether evil or indifferent, have refused the invitation. Now there are a number of parallels between the evil tenants and our parable today. Both offer something wonderful to others. Both send messengers to either pay or to come. And both the mis messengers are mistreated or even killed. And lastly, for whatever reason, both the landowner and the king seem incredibly persistent, continually refusing to give up on them. 
However, there are two differences. The evil tenants also kill the son. And at the end of the wicked tenants, Jesus asked the priests and elders, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Their response is a harsh judgment. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him their share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus will now use their same harsh judgment against them as our gospel continues. When the king heard that, they were not coming. He was angry and sent his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. In Luke's version, there's none of this violence. They just refused to come. And it's also possible that this last portion is Jesus' prophecy that soon the city of Jerusalem will be destroyed. But back to our gospel. The king then seeks other attendees. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited weren't worthy. So therefore, go to the intersections and highways, and as many as you can find, invite them to the marriage feast. Those servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both good and bad. The wedding was filled with guests. I like that phrase, as many as they can find. And thanks be to God, that's where I was found, out on the streets, hanging with the bad. The importance of Jesus' statement is that at the time, sinners and irreligious people were not welcome in synagogues. As a matter of fact, people with physical, mental uh, Ill handicaps or illnesses were barred from the synagogue or even the presence of the Jewish people altogether. Subsequently, the early Christian church found an eager audience amongst the Jews and Gentiles who were considered outcasts. Jesus is trying to tell all of them that God wants everyone. The parable of the wedding feast summarizes the relationship of God with his Jewish people and those that are yet to come. It reminds us that God invites us to a joyful feast, and we miss that joy if we refuse his invitation. It also implies a warning. We end the parable of the wedding gardens we end, I'm sorry, with the parable of the wedding garments, which is part of the wedding banquet. Or as I said, some of the theologians say, a parable within a parable. And it starts. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there was a man who didn't have on a wedding cloak. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here not wearing wedding clothes? He was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and throw him into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. What is the meaning of this wedding ring? Apparently the garments were either given out or it's somebody that, something that everybody had, except this one man. Perhaps even he refused, because surely God is not enforcing the dress code. Jesus doesn't tell us what the wedding clothes represent. But given the reference to good and bad, it stands to reason that the wedding robe equates to righteousness. Isaiah will also remind us of this when he says, I, del I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness 
as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with a jewel. It might seem that the meaning of today's gospel might be, don't dress honey or refuse invitations. But as always, Jesus has deeper meanings. Our scripture ends with that. A famous phrase, for many are called, but few chosen. I started today by mentioning the chief priests and the elders who continually harass our Lord and even plot his destruction. I wondered aloud, why does he keep trying to win them over? What's the use? But you see, Jesus hasn't given up on them. In just two days, he'll be crucified. And he's still trying to change their hearts and their minds. For many are called. Certainly, as leaders of the Jewish faith, the elders and priests are called by God. They are the leaders of his earthly church. But I think so many of them are not hearing the right call. So maybe this is the message of the parables. God's invitation to us to be in harmony with him is limitless. Because I do know this. God never gives up on any of us. He didn't give up on the priests. He didn't give up on the elders. He didn't give up on the outcasts. He won't give up on the sinners. No, not ever. No, not one of us. And we too have been called. And through the love of Jesus Christ, we are chosen to wear those robes of righteousness. Beloved, these parables are not made to frighten us. But they do remind us that Jesus never gives up on us. Remember what I said about the Passover. In two days, the Passover will come. And Jesus will continue to persist to try and win over the hearts and minds of everyone. And when he can, in that last hour, as he hangs on the cross, he will still seek their salvation when he asks, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Amen.